in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to all those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and my song. The, the, the challenging word is that word alone, in Christ alone. Because what we're saying is that Christ is our only hope, our only strength, our only light. What we're really saying is Christ is everything. He's our rock, our refuge, our life, our light, our strength, our shield, our peace, our purpose. We're saying everything about us is all tied up with the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus really is glorious and mighty and majestic. And the bigger view you have of the Lord Jesus Christ, the deeper and the more radical your faith will be. Uh, many people have a very shallow view of Jesus. They know surface truths about Jesus, but they don't go too deep, and so their, their faith is a shallow faith. Uh, some people have a safe view of Jesus. He's very contained, he's very academic, very intellectual, but they don't expect anything extraordinary from Jesus, and so their faith is a, is a safe faith. But God doesn't want us to have a safe view or a shallow view God wants us to have a spectacular view of Jesus, to see how glorious and majestic and mighty and powerful and wonderful and how beautiful the name of Jesus Christ is. So your faith will be spectacular. We don't need any more than Jesus, but we all need more of Jesus, a deeper, more profound, more intimate relationship with him. And that's why we're studying John's gospel this term. In John, we're going to, 
walk with Jesus and live with Jesus and listen to Jesus. John wants us to stretch our minds and to, to warm our hearts, to fall more in love with Jesus. He wants us to understand what a, a beautiful and a wonderful and powerful name Jesus Christ really is. Uh, John's gospel has been described as, as shallow enough for a child to paddle in and deep enough for an elephant to bathe in. And it really is. On one level, it's really simple. You, you meet Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you have life in his name. But on another level, it's so profound and so complex because the Jesus that you meet is so unimaginable. He is glorious. As you know, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're like a string quartet. They all work together in beautiful harmony. They're like four different camera angles on the same person. But John is a bit different from the other three. Uh, John is less logical and more philosophical. Now, the mathematician in me likes logic. Well, John doesn't do logic. John is much more creative He's not really writing a, a chronological biography of the life of Jesus. He's preaching a confronting sermon to show you the, the, the life that Jesus offers you. And like every great preacher, he selects his material very carefully. So John covers just 21 earthly days in the life of Jesus. He records just seven miracles and five are unique to John. Uh, John is probably the, the last gospel to be written about A.D. 90. And the author is John, the son of Zebedee. Uh, remember, uh, Jesus had 12 disciples and then the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Well, this is John. He describes himself as the, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. He saw Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He experienced Jesus. He saw the transfiguration. He saw the empty tomb. And John writes this because he wants to get a response from you. He doesn't want to read John's gospel and say, oh, well, that was nice, that was interesting. He expects a response. The key verse is 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why this book is written so that you might believe and trust that Jesus is God, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, and that by believing you might have life, abundant life, an extraordinary life with Jesus that starts now and lasts for all eternity. So today we're going to meet Jesus, and there's no better place to start than John 1. It's called the prologue. These first 18 verses are like the overture to the whole book. You've got all the themes, life, glory, grace and truth. It's a bit like walking into an art gallery and being given a program. And in that program, you get a glimpse of all the beautiful art which you're going to see. Or it's a bit like sitting in a, a West End musical and you've got the orchestral overture where you get a glimpse of all the big tunes, all those glorious melodies you're going to be exposed to. Or it's a bit like seeing a canvas and you're just seeing the brushwork and the colors and the strokes, and you step back and you just go, wow, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be glorious, because Jesus is glorious. In verse 1, we're introduced to this enigmatic figure called the Word. In the beginning was the Word. In the Bible, the Word is God's powerful self-expression in creation, in revelation, in salvation. 
So Psalm 33 talks about the heavens being made by the word of the Lord. It's God's self-expression in creation. Or Deuteronomy 5 talks about the Lord showing his glory through his word. Or Psalm 107, God sent his word and rescued them. But the word here is not an it. It's a he. Verse 2, he was with God. Verse 4, in him was life. Verse 10, he was in the world. Because this, this word has a name. It's a beautiful, wonderful, powerful name. His name is Jesus. So today I just want you to step back and just see how mighty, majestic, and glorious this Lord Jesus Christ really is. And I've just got three mind-blowing, extraordinary statements about Christ. Here's the first one. Jesus is the eternal creator God. Jesus is the eternal creator God. The, the Jesus of history is the one who's always existed and created everything. Verse 1 again, in the beginning was the word. So Mark starts his gospel with the ministry of Jesus. Matthew takes you back to Abraham. Luke takes you back to Adam. But John goes way back beyond the birth of Jesus, beyond the prophets, beyond the flood, back to the beginning. And with clear echoes of Genesis 1, he says, in the beginning was the word. Uh, not at the beginning, the word came into existence. No, the word has always existed. This word is not a created being. So before time began, Jesus was there. You, you can never say there was a time when Jesus was not. Did you know that? Jesus did not come into existence at a stable in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Jesus wasn't created like the sun, moon, and stars. No, Jesus, the Son of God, the, the second person of the Trinity, he's always existed. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He's eternal. And that's why around the throne for all eternity, we'd be worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ because he's eternal. He's our creator. Verse 3, John is a great preacher. He, he states the positive and then the negative. Verse 3, through Jesus, through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He's saying everything that has been created was created by Jesus. It's exactly the same as Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. That's the power of Jesus. Your Lord Jesus Christ created everything from the galaxies to the golden sands, from the shooting stars to the smell of coffee, from the elephant to the immediate. You're supposed to go, wow, our God is powerful. We're supposed to stand in awe of this creator Jesus. So did you know there are about 15 million galaxies out there? So we are one tiny part of one tiny galaxy. And on a clearest blue sky day with your naked eye, you could see perhaps 2,500 stars, which is 0.0000000000001% of everything that God created. Jesus is so powerful and so mighty, and yet he's so precise because he created the tiniest, most intricate insects. There are 800,000 categorized insects, and Jesus created every one of them. He created the most beautiful flowers with their, their delicate stems and stunning scents. He's powerful, he's precise, and he's personal. 
Because if first three, Jesus created everything, that means he created me and you. As the Bible says, we are fearfully and we're wonderfully made. The Lord Jesus made you just the way he wanted. He knew exactly what you would look like and the personality you'd have and the abilities and gifts you had. I still remember the first day I realized that, that, that my creator is also my savior. And that means Jesus knows me so well. He, his hands shaped me and molded me just the way he wanted. And I believe someone is to hear that today. He's our eternal creator, God. Look again at verse 1. In the beginning was the word. He's always existed. And the word was with God. That is, he is one with God. He's in his close intimate relationship with God because, verse 1, the Word was God. Wow. Jesus was, is, always will be fully God. He's not just godly. Uh, He's not just a good man or a great teacher, as our world claims. He's not just a prophet or, or one of many gods like the Muslims claim. No, he is and always will be fully and totally God. And that's why we worship and revere Jesus as God. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is not just someone to be admired or respected. He's to be worshipped and adored. The teachings of Jesus are not there to be pondered or appreciated, to be obeyed, because what Jesus says, God says. And so Jesus that you will meet in John's gospel is the one who can control nature, heal the sick, raise the dead. Why? Because he's fully God. Jesus is glorious. He is the eternal creator God. Number two, Jesus is the life and the light of the world. He's the life and the light of the world. Verse four, in him, in Jesus, in the word was life. And that life was the light of all people. There are three different words for life in the Bible. There's the There's the physical life, the biological life. That's used very rarely. There's the psychological life, the inner life. That's used more often. But this word here is the the quality of life, the abundant life that God offers all people. John is saying, if you want to know life, you've got to know Jesus. Life is more than your work or your wealth. Life is more than your family, your friends and your fitness. Life is more than your, your homes, your holidays, your health and your hobbies. Life is all about Jesus. He's the reason you exist. He's your reason for living. So unless we are pressing deeper into Jesus, unless we really truly believe that true life is only found in Christ, we'll spend the rest of our days endlessly lurching from one idol to another, endlessly searching for something to find our identity in, our security in. And John says, come to Jesus and you'll have life. Come to Jesus and you will, he will satisfy your aching souls. Come to Jesus and he'll add color and beauty and purpose and significance to every part of your life. Why? Because he's the light of the world. Again, verse 4, in him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines brightly in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Light does two things. A light illuminates and it exposes. So light reveals things. When you're trying to read a newspaper in the dark and someone comes and puts the light on it, I can see now. 
It's like when you're camping and it's pitch black and you've got your torch so you can see. That's what Jesus does. He comes into the world and he makes things visible. Jesus reveals, sheds light on what God is like and what we are like. He, he, he reveals profound spiritual truths and he exposes a human heart. Because negatively, light exposes things like the police helicopter searchlight that pinpoints the criminal and says, there he is. Jesus does that. As Jesus speaks, he, he pinpoints our consciences. He convicts us. He reaches into places where we don't want other people to go. Because he says things that make us go, ouch, I don't like that. And if we're all honest, we, we all tend to run back into the darkness like cockroaches. Because sometimes the light seems so bright and so harsh. But John says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He's saying Jesus will expose and defeat all darkness because the light is so wonderful. This light, according to verse 9, is a true light. The genuine, real, ultimate light that all people need. And he's stepping into our world. First, let me challenge you. Trying to do life without the Lord Jesus Christ at the center is like trying to do a 4,000-piece jigsaw puzzle in the dark without any edge pieces. It's impossible. It's fragile. It's futile. But when you see Jesus and walk with Jesus and worship Jesus, the lights go on and your life has meaning and purpose and satisfaction because Jesus brings life and light to your world. Number three. Jesus is the personal revelation of God's glory and grace. He's the personal revelation of God's glory and God's grace. In the person of Jesus, we see God's glory, we see God's grace. And this is like the turning point in the musical when the audience are on the edge of their seat in awe and wonder. It's like that moment where the painting is revealed and you just gasp saying, wow, this is unimaginable, this is amazing. Because John brings us down to earth with a bump in verse 6. We go from eternity and creation and life and light, and suddenly we're in a sphere of time and space and history. Verse 6 is a man commissioned or sent from God like Moses was, but his name is John. We know him as John the Baptist. He came, verse 7, as a witness, legal language, a witness to testify concerning the light concerning Jesus. It said in verse 7 that he himself, verse 8, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So, so John the Baptist enters the world and says, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Because Jesus, a true light, verse 9, is coming into the world. And when John uses that word world in verse 9, he's not just talking about our earth. It's a negative world. It, it describes a world that disobeys God, that dishonors God, a world full of sin and messiness. And it's extraordinary truth that the light, the word, the Lord Jesus, is about to leave the intimacy of heaven, the perfection of heaven, and step into our godless, messed up world. That's why verse 14 is so vulgar. Try and read verse 14. Imagine you've never heard this before. The undiminished deity is now in a body of unprotected humanity. The word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. He doesn't say the word became man. He says the word became flesh. Because Jesus did not just take on a human body. He took on a human nature with all its temptations and struggles. So Jesus ate, drank, slept, wept, talked, rejoiced, got sad, prayed, got weary, endured pain, and was tempted, yet was without sin. So Jesus knows what it means to be fully human. And for me, that is a massive comfort. Because my Jesus understands life. My Jesus lived life. He's been here. Verse 14 again, the word became flesh and made his his dwelling among us. He took up residence among us. He lived among us. But the word there is literally tabernacled. It's Exodus language. He tabernacled among us. The, the tabernacle was a symbol of God's presence where God guided and directed and forgave them. This is a connection. If you want to enjoy the presence of God in your life, you don't go to a sanctuary or to a temple or to a church. You go to a person the person with a beautiful, wonderful, powerful name, and his name is Jesus. Not just his presence, we see his glory. Because the tabernacle was a place where you saw God's glory, his otherness, his weightiness, his heaviness, his majesty. Remember Moses asked him to see God's glory in Exodus 33, and, and God says, no, no one can see my glory and live. Well, now read verse 14 again. When Jesus stepped into his world, We're told we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. See, we see God's glory not in Sinai, not at the Red Sea, but in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were painting a picture of God's glory, I imagine you might paint pictures of power and strength, but that is not glory in John. In John, glory is about humility and and service because the glory of God is shown not in a lofty banquet, but in a lowly Bethlehem stable. And the glory of God is shown not in a power parade, but in a, a crucified Christ. That the eternal creator should step into our world. That is crazy. But that same creator would suffer, be spat on, and be crucified. And that is called glorious. And to be honest, I've been praying that we would see this glory of Jesus because for many people I know, their Jesus is one-dimensional, safe and contained. But Jesus is not containable. He's not explainable. He is magnificent, weighty, wonderful, awesome and glorious. In Jesus we see God's glory. In Jesus we see God's grace, this wonderful gift of grace. We're told in verse 14, he's full of grace and full of truth. We're told in verse 16, out of his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There he is mentioned for the first time. It's grace upon grace upon grace. It's like the waves crashing on the ocean. One wave comes and then another wave and then another wave. And that is God's grace available to you in the person of Jesus when you surf the wave of God's grace, it's this unending reservoir, more and more and more and more and more grace. So in the tough words of Jesus, you find grace. In the tender words of Jesus, you find grace. In his healings, you find grace. In his warnings, you find grace. And I believe God's saying to you today, 
whoever you are, whatever you've done, come to the Lord Jesus Christ and find this lavish, undeserved, extraordinary grace. So in Jesus, we see God's glory. We see his grace. Because in Jesus, we see God himself. Verse 18, no one's ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. We can say we've seen God. It's like this great unveiling. When Jesus steps into the world, we see God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if I'm really honest, that's what I don't get about so many Christians. We don't seem to cherish the words of Jesus as we should. We don't seem to want to know Jesus more intimately and, and grapple with how glorious he is. We, we don't seem to want to have this deeper, more personal love relationship with Jesus. We're about to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And that's what I want for us. I want you to fall in love with Jesus again and have your mind blows away by Jesus. That's the overture, the canvas. The eternal creator God who offers life and light has stepped into his world so that we might see his glory and his grace. And that's why we worship Jesus and adore Jesus and revere Jesus because he is beautiful and wonderful and powerful and glorious. But this is the crazy part, and I'll finish with this. The Lord Jesus Christ is the most divisive man who's ever lived. No other human figure has been more divisive. And John says there's only two responses. You either run to the light like a, like a moth or you run away from it like, like a cockroach. Same with Jesus, verse 10. He steps into the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't receive him. It said no to Jesus. It refused to acknowledge him. He came to that which is his own. He, he came to the Jewish people who had been waiting for the Messiah, but they didn't like him, they didn't receive him. Let me ask you, why do people reject Jesus? Exactly the same today as it was then. We despise revelation because we want to create God in our own image, a God that we like so we can feel good about ourselves. Or we don't like the light, we like the darkness. Or we don't like grace because we want to do something. So lots of people today reject this glorious Jesus. But, but when you come to him and believe in him, verse 12, you receive him, you welcome him. Look at verse 12, he gives you the right, the privilege to be called a child of God, a son or a daughter of the highest king. Not because you were born into the right family or you went to church or you did good things, but because God calls you his precious child, his precious daughter, he says, I love you, I cherish you, I've chosen you. So Jesus is offering you life, and he wants to call you his child. So please don't be satisfied with this shallow or safe view of Jesus. He is glorious. He is majestic and mighty. So turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, and all the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and his grace. Amen.